Um, but for those of you that are with us on a regular basis, you know that we're in 1 Peter chapter 2 right now. I want to read verses 13 to 17 to us. That's our text uh, that we have been in. We will be dealing with today, and one of the verses we'll have uh, one more message on. So let me read it this morning, get our hearts thinking on things above again with the scriptures. Verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Let's pray. Our Father in God, once again, we are so grateful to be able to sing songs about your grace today, to be able to just pray for others. We do thank you for the many answers to prayer. Also be with Nancy Skeen tomorrow. Very critical situation for her. She's trying to determine where she'll be going from here. And uh, Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the grace that you show in all of our lives, especially as we fail you from day in and day out. And you're so gracious to lift us up and encourage us in the things of Christ. Thank you so much for the word of God that we can go to the truth, study it and understand it and be able to apply it in our lives. And we pray that the spirit of God would help to block everything else out right now so that uh, your word would take its root in our lives and hearts and that, Father, you would change us from glory to glory. For those who do not know Christ, that you'd open up their understanding even as we study the word of God. Thank you for this time now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This is actually part two of Heavenly Citizens and Civil Authorities was the title of the message that we gave it a few weeks ago. There has been a gap of three weeks for those of you that may not be aware of it. We had the Ministry Fair Day, which was a real blessing to me. And even as you've seen this morning, Pastor Chris didn't even know some of the announcements that were going on. Ed McNeil's handing him stuff. I didn't know some things. I am personally encouraged by that. In many churches, the pastor runs everything. Uh, I don't know half of what is going on. And I think it's a wonderful thing to see how the people of God are just really ministering and the body of Christ is functioning. And so that's a joy to my heart. And then after that, I was away last week. And yes, as some of you heard, and I guess I thank you for your prayers because I needed it. I was up at my daughter's in Maine and uh, planned on being there through the afternoon meal and everything. But I had to leave after the service because it was snowing like crazy. There were three inches on the ground before I left. They ended up getting 15 inches of snow. They did, and I came down in a blizzard coming home last Sunday, so uh, it was quite a trip, so your prayers were answered in giving me safety, and Bangor, I think, got a foot, but right in Palermo, where they were, uh, they had 15 inches of snow, so, and I, <laughs> I talked to my daughter, Leanne, this morning, and I talked to her last night. She's in Canada with a French class, and it's snowing up there, so snow is coming, folks. Uh, be ready for it. But with all of that said... Uh, here we are, so there's been a little bit of a gap, and I do want to take a few moments to review because it's very important. This text continues to build, and if we don't understand the context when you're doing expositional teaching, 
you really can lose it. So allow me a little grace here because of the gap in, in doing a little bit of a review. Peter has been addressing his readers as citizens of heaven. That is vital. He's addressing those that he's writing to in this epistle, and they are sojourners. They are pilgrims. They are aliens. Those are the terms that have been used. They are citizens of heaven. They're living here on earth, just like we are who know Christ, but really this is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and while they are living here, he's been encouraging them to live for God in very simple terms, and I am getting a strong bit of an echo. I don't know why, but uh, I am, just so you can have that for the audio. Thank you. Uh, but he's, he's encouraged them to live for God. He's encouraged them to love the brethren, the basic things that we know we should be doing, and also, sometimes this is strange to the believer, but to produce good works. Good works is never anything that will bring you to salvation. We are saved by the grace of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. The book of Ephesians makes very clear. So you cannot be involved in good works hoping that your scale will outweigh your sin and you'll get into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ came to this earth, paid the penalty and price for sin, and by faith in him and him alone, you can have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. So works do not save us. However, we have been saved, according to the book of Ephesians, unto good works. And the book of Titus, for example, and also 1 Peter. So he's encouraging believers, let your good works be seen. And by the way, I want to encourage you as a congregation. It was Bob that came to me this morning and showed me a picture. Some of you are going to see it. One of our small groups has been praying and, you know, how we can reach out also to the community. And they took up an offering within that, uh, and I won't tell you which one, but they took up an offering within that small group for a surgery for a young child. And he has a picture of it today. The surgery was very successful, and uh, you guys are a great part of that. So that's wonderful to see. That's good works. That's reaching out into the community and, and letting people see that we care and letting people see the love of Christ functioning in a very practical way. Okay, so that's what he's been encouraging. Now when we come to chapter 2, verse 13, which is where our text is, and I already gave the first part of the message, I want to remind us that he's now addressing the specific areas. It's fine to talk about live for God. It's fine to talk about love the brethren and to perform good works. But let's get it into the nitty-gritty. Let's get it into the reality of where we live, into the specifics. And he's beginning that in this particular passage in verse 13, and we'll continue through chapter 4. And the first area that we saw that he is addressing is civil authorities, governments. And I think it's probably very appropriate, number one, that I was away because nobody could claim that I influenced the voting that went on. But I think it's also, and that's very important with pastors today, but it's also very important, I think, in light of our own elections that we just went through, whatever happens, to, to see that we are dealing with civil authorities, and, and, and Peter is addressing that. And uh, why is he addressing that? Well, uh, the real reason that we have government to begin with, we saw in Romans, and I will go back to that text for just a minute uh, in a little bit, is that government authorities have been appointed by God. They are his ministers. Whether they realize it or not, all the governments over men are appointed ministers of God and supposedly for good. And we need to recognize that. So that's why it's the first area that he's addressing because they are authorities that basically God has allowed. Now, 
What have we covered so far? The first part of verse 13 is all we got through. What is that? Our charge is right, given right away. It is to submit. We are told to submit ourselves or yourselves to those governments. Why? Well, first of all, we had to submit. That is, to, we had to put ourselves under their authority. Here in the United States of America, we are under the authority of our president and the government officials, all the way down into the towns, the mayors, and all the other things that were elected and, and, and went on this past week uh, that we just saw. We are charged to submit. We don't like that. We hate the word submit. Let's be honest. Anytime we have to be told to submit to anything, it, it kind of rubs against the grain. And yet, that's what God calls us to do. Why? He tells us there, for the Lord's sake. And we saw that. And to put it more specifically, if you look at verse 15, for such is the will of God. And that, all of that goes together, though it's going to talk uh, a little bit further in verse 15 about that. But this is God's will. We don't have to debate it. We always talk about the will of God as believers, and I want to know the will of God for my life, and I want to know this. This is very basic. The will of God is that we submit to the government. It is that we put ourselves under their authority. And by the way, we also saw that Jesus Christ did that, did he not? And we will get there later on in this very chapter. So again, you can look ahead. But in verse 24, it says, he bore our sins in his own body in the tree, right? But what happened in verse 23? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he, and he suffered. He uttered no threats. He didn't threaten Pilate, who condemned him. He didn't threaten the government. He actually submitted as part of the Lord's will for his own life. God the Father's will for his own life. Peter also and the apostles, they submitted. And we'll talk about that as we go. Uh, why are they there? Why are the governments there? It's important for us to realize. I was going to turn back to Romans, but I, I see the time and I'm going to save that. Romans chapter 13, though, verses 1 to 4 makes it very clear that they have been put in authority by God for basically three reasons. They are supposed to be restraining evil. It is to keep men from just going wild, if you will, and having chaos. That no matter what the government is, they are there to restrain evil. They are also there, and often this is not done because there's corruption within government frequently, but they do have the responsibility to promote good. So they are supposed to be restraining evil. They are supposed to be promoting good, according to Romans chapter 13. And the third thing that we saw is then they have the ability and the authority of God to punish evildoers. So they're not only to prevent people from going wild, but when men disobey, they have the responsibility to exercise punishment over that. And that's why in Romans it says you don't have to be afraid of being punished by the government if you're doing that which is right. And so that's all been important to us. What is the extent, and that's where we left off, what is the extent of our submission? Well, again, if you look at the first part of verse 13, it says to every human institution, to every human institution, and I went into a little bit of the background word behind that, the foundation, the creation and we need to understand this, because I was asked a couple of questions on this, which were very good questions. All institutions, if you will, really were established by God, including government. 
He is the one who gave government as a way of controlling man and to, again, watch over evil and promote good, as we just said. So ultimately, all forms of institution come from God, so we need to recognize that. Yet there are a number of different formations, if you will, by man. And government is one of them. Family is another one. That is established by God, but the structure of how families are to work. Employment is another one. God provided man to be able to work in the Garden of Eden, and yet that is for man's benefit to be able to work, and there is the structure of the employment, uh, employer-employee relationship, and that will be dealt with in this chapter. So it doesn't matter what the form of government is. We are to, or the form of the institution is, we are to submit to that structure. And we are to allow it. Why? Because God has given those for the better benefit and the betterment as well of man. Government is designed to be for the betterment of man's functioning in this society. The family, as God outlined it, is to be for the betterment of the family. The structure of employment is for the betterment of man. And that is God's structure and purpose. That's kind of what we left off with. And it's important, and I didn't go into a lot of the other details that we looked at already because we raised a lot of questions. But I want to go through the text and look at some examples, and I think that's important for us to see. He amplifies what he means now. Let's look at the rest of chapter uh, 2, verse 13, and take it down to verse 16. We won't get to 17 today. That'll be the last part of the message on this. But let me finish it. Here it says, whether to a king as the one in authority or to government is sent by him, that is God, for the punishment of evildoers. There's an amplification of Romans 13. And the praise of those who do right, again, an amplification of Romans 13. For such is the will of God that by doing right... You may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. So that's part of what we want to deal with today. And you notice he starts off with a king. What is the amplification of this submission to every human institution? Well, with government, he starts with a king. What? Let me remind us of one other thing I said. God is not, in case you were not here for that, God is not interested in any particular type of government. We, because we are born in the United States of America, think that the only play, the way government should be run is like it is in the United States of America. That's one of the problems in the world. We're trying to make everybody else a democracy. Uh, we're actually a republic, but we're trying to accomplish this and so forth in our world. Like that is the only way to go. Ultimately, what I did say is the only form of government that really is approved by God in the beginning and will be in the end as a theocracy in which God rules over all, and he rules anyway, but in which we will then submit to him as king. But there are all different types of governments that can exist. And you notice he talks about a king first. What is a king? Is it not a monarchy? Sure it is. He doesn't even talk about whether this is a dictatorship that is bad or not. He doesn't even deal with that. He just simply says, whether it's a king, whether you're under a, a monarchy, if you will, you still are responsible for submitting. And even to his representatives, notice that, or to governors 
as sent by him. I said God, that's actually referred to the king. As sent by the king as his representatives, okay? It doesn't matter. We have a responsibility to submit to that. Now, maybe Peter just doesn't understand the, the world we're living in. Really? Did you ever stop to think about who was in power when Peter was saying this? Rome. Now, which king was in power? Or which authority was in power? Well, there is some mutual, there's some debate about that. But it was either Claudius or Nero. One of those two was in power when Peter was talking. They were not very pleasant people. I want you to understand this. What was the conditions in Rome? Rome was a, an atmosphere of what? Polygamy, uh, not just polygamy. Well, that was true. Uh, that isn't the word I wanted to use. But in dealing with uh, polytheism is what I really wanted to say. Many gods, right? They didn't just bow down to Christian, Christianity. They had many gods and statues of many gods and represented that way. It was a society that was absolutely saturated with immorality. It was a society that was saturated with corruption. It was a society that was saturated with violence. Does this sound familiar? Hmm. It was a society that was abusive, where the government officials were abusive of the people. It was a society where there was even hatred for Christianity. That's the society Peter's living in, and he's the one used of God living in that society that turns around and says, submit to them. Why? Because it's the will of God. Why? Because it's an institution that God established. And, and I know, again, I've already raised the question, and it'll come up. Well, what about when it, it, it differs with the word of God? We're getting there. Okay? But we need to understand that we are to submit whatever the type of government is. If we were living... In China, we would be responsible for submitting to the government in China. If we were in, under the old, uh, as I grew up with, uh, in Russia, and you had that dictatorship and you had communism, we would be responsible to live in submission. Now, that isn't easy for us. But you get Paul, that's, uh, Peter, that's talking about this, as well as Paul was talking about it when Rome was in power. Their purpose, again, and I repeat it, was to really punish evil and to give praise to that which is good. Now, whether they do that or not is not an excuse for us to sin. That is their responsibility. It is a frightening one. President Obama and every president that's been in the United States of America, every governor, every senator, every representative will one day stand before God and give an account for that office. Because they were responsible to be doing the very things that we saw in Rome. But oftentimes, even believers use this as an excuse. Well, I don't like that person, or I don't agree with their policy, and they use it as an excuse for sin. You're going to see at the end of verse, or what, 16 again, he says, don't let that happen. Because we are to submit. We are to do what is right. And that does not mean that we won't suffer. For example, take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. I think I referred to these before, but I want you to see it again. For it is better if God should will it so that you should suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. You see, if we suffer as a Christian, in fact, the scriptures say that in Timothy. If you live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. We need to expect that. 
We are often act surprised that some of the government decisions that are being made today are some of the society and the way they treat Christians. Why? We should, of all people, we should not be surprised. If you look at chapter 4, verse 2, again, same book in 1 Peter, which we will get to. So as to live the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. We are to live our life in the not desirous and just giving into our flesh, but we are to live in order to accomplish the will of God in our life. And by the time you come down to verse 19 of chapter 4, take a quick look there. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. As Christians, that should be the motivation in doing the will of God. And certainly the example is the Lord Jesus Christ that we will eventually see in chapter 2. He submitted himself to a righteous judge who knew that he was not guilty. And uh, he stood before Pilate, as you well know in that account. So we must have the right attitude, and that's what it says in verse 16. Are we free? Yes, we are. We are free in Christ. We are no longer even under the, the grasp of sin, if you will. And so we're to act as free men. Why? Let me give you two practical things, first of all, for your own integrity. And secondly, it goes hand in hand, your own credibility. A Christian does not have credibility when he is trying to give out the gospel and he's breaking the law. You lose your credibility. Or you turn around and you're, you, as your integrity, you're trying to say, well, I'm living a godly life and then you won't pay your taxes. Well, your credibility is gone. Your integrity is gone. And we're to act as free men, but we're not to use that freedom, as he says in verse 16, as a covering for evil. And in their day, I want you to understand, because if you look through scripture, you find out that they were calling even believers or accusing them of being lawless. They felt like they were above the law and didn't have to submit. It's not true. Or that they were evildoers trying to overthrow the government. That should not be what we are known for. We should be known as citizens of heaven that are also law-abiding citizens. So we are free in Christ. We are citizens of heaven. But we are not to use that freedom as an occasion to disobey the laws of man. You have no right as a Christian to go down the highway 100 miles an hour when it says 60. You are breaking the law. When you go onto your property, you have no right to turn around and say, well, I'm going to put an addition to my home. Whether or not I need permits or not, I'm just not going to get them. You don't have that right as a Christian just because you know Christ. Or when the IRS says, and, and I know the story, there are some that say, well, the IRS shouldn't even be in power. The fact is they are. The fact is that our government says we ought to pay our taxes. You don't have the right to turn around and say, I'm free from that. Next time you purchase something, walk in. Well, you say, I'm going to go to New Hampshire. There's no tax. Okay. Well, next time you walk into a Massachusetts store and they say tax, just walk up to them and say, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't pay tax. Really? It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. You don't have a right as a Christian to say, 
You know, I, I know you're giving me a nice handsome fee, and I know that I'm getting a nice paycheck at the end of the week, but, you know, my priority is to witness for Christ, and I, I'm not going to work on that machine today because I'm going to go around and witness to everybody in the work. You don't have that right. That's a bad employee. Employers. No, E. I got it right the first time. Bad employee. You, you are a witness for Christ, and as you get opportunity, you can share the gospel if they allow you. But you have a job to do. You don't have a right to turn around and say, I'm going to take more breaks than everybody else because I'm a Christian. You don't have a right to turn around and say, you know, uh, uh, I'm 18 years of age and, and, and I'm not responsible to my parents even though I'm living in my house. If you say that in my house, I'm going to turn around and say, you want that responsibility? Well, then move out. That's fine. You can live on your own, pay your own bills, do all that you want to do. But as long as, and I, I know uh, what things are. So we need to understand that I am a slave of Christ. Look at that. At the end of verse 16, that word bond slave is a great translation. That's what it means. I am a slave of God. If I am a Christian, what does it tell me in Corinthians? I have been bought with a price. I am not my own. I am free, but I have been bought by Christ. I'm not free to do anything that I want. So that raises some practical questions, does it not for us? Sure it does. Are there any biblical examples that we can look at that can help us to understand how to apply this? What about when the government goes against the principles of the word of God? Then what do I do? How do I handle that? Well, I'll give you some practical guidelines, but as I tried to prepare you for what would be coming, I thought it would be best if we looked at a couple of scriptural examples. There are many, and I, and I limited it to just a couple of areas to help us out here. But I think if we look and see how were they to handle it as living for God in certain situations. Turn with me first to the book of Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah 29. Let's look at some biblical examples that I think will help us. Because everything's not as cut and dry as you might think. You and I can sit here and say, well, this situation, I'll do this way, this way. It's not always that easy. I, I chose Jeremiah 29 for a reason. Uh, a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is, in this passage, is one of the most quoted passages by Christians, and it has nothing to do with Christians. But you know me. I want us to get us back in our context. Why? How many Christians have quoted, God has a plan for me, and, and basically, it's, it's for good and not for evil. And they've quoted Jeremiah 29. And you probably, some of you are sitting there saying, I've done that. Well, so have I. Let's look at the context. Watch this. Jeremiah, this one I'm going to read the whole thing. Jeremiah 29, not the whole chapter, don't panic. Jeremiah 29, but I am going to read the first 14 verses. Watch. Because I wanted to point some things out. Now, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets of all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, watch this, had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now we're going to see an example of that in a bit. This is Nebuchadnezzar taking over the people of God. This is a dictator. Verse 2. This was after King Jeconiah, and the queen mother and the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the smiths, departed from Jerusalem. 
The letter was sent by the hand of Elash, the son of Saphen, and I'm not the one to pronounce these names, but I'm going to try my best, and Jemariah, the son of Helkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, watch this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who sent them there? Did you get it? God was in this captivity. They're going to be under captivity of King Nebuchadnezzar. They are going to be put in a very difficult situation. Their world is being turned upside down by this government official. But I want you to know that God has allowed them to go there. Now watch what he says. Verse 5. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives. And become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your own sons and daughters. And take... Uh, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there. Do not decrease. He's basically saying, live under the king Nebuchadnezzar. Have your families going. Live under that government and do things. Watch. Seek the welfare of the city. You've got to be kidding me. This was a dictator that came in and turned their world upside down and killed many Jews. And you're telling me that God's will is to better the city? Absolutely. Watch. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Does that sound like the New Testament that I read this morning? You say, I missed it, Pastor Dan. I read 1 Timothy. We are to pray for kings and all those in authority. You and I have the responsibility to pray for all of our elected officials. That's what they were told. Now watch this. It even goes further. For its welfare, that's the word for peace there, by the way. You will have welfare or peace. And it's, it's in line with what it says in Romans. He wants us to pray for the leaders. He wants us to pray for the city. And he basically wanted them to pray for its peace. And then he goes on, watch this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst, isn't this amazing? And the diviners deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now what is that all about? The prophets were going around saying, peace, peace, peace. Don't worry about Nebuchadnezzar. Don't worry about submitting to that government type of thing. God's going to overthrow it. Not so. God's true message came through Jeremiah and it was this. You submit to Nebuchadnezzar. You be the best citizen you can be. You pray for them and you do it. Why? Now we move forward. Watch. For thus says the Lord, verse 10, when 70 years, in other words, I'm going to tell you how long you're going to be there. And by the way, I believe Daniel was reading this and knew that it was coming to an end. But here is what he says. He says this. He says, 
When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. And here is the context of verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, Israel, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me and search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Did verse 11 and 12 sound familiar? I have a, a plan for you for good and not for evil and not for calamity in verse 11. We quote that all the time. That was intended for the nation of Israel. Why? Why were they going into captivity? Listen, I want you to catch this. Because the people of God were not living for God. They had not done what God said. And that Babylonian captivity was God's judgment. And God was in it. And he wanted them in those 70 years to live under that authority. To do what they were supposed to do and even to pray. God was going to deliver them. And the whole point of it under the government was to get his own people to recognize who God was and to live for him. And I, let me, by way of application, because time is really going quick, by way of application, God expects us, whatever government we are under, to live for the glory of God and live for him and to shine as a light, to pray. And in case you want a practical example of it, now go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. I'm not even going to get to all these texts that I want to. But Daniel chapter 1. I, I encourage you, read all of chapter 1. But for time's sake, what happened? I want you to see this King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, we just saw in Jeremiah, that's part of the will of God. And what's he going to do? Verse 4. Youths in whom, he's going to take some youths, some, some young people, right? In whom was no defect, were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed in understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving the king's court. And in the midst of this comes what? Daniel and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to come out of the midst of this. And what are they going to do? They're going to work and they are going to be taught the literature according to verse 4 and the instructions of the Chaldeans and they're going to learn the language and they're going to be there and they are to be God's representatives there. Now Daniel and his companions are never going back home. They are going into a foreign country, been pulled away from their families. What were they to do? Submit. Did Daniel? Yes. In this particular chapter, by the way, you'll find out that they were going to be given certain food. And what happens, food and drink, and Daniel sees it, and he has a conscience because it says 
in the scriptures that he had made up his mind, look at verse 8, that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with wine which he drank. He had a conscience against that. Now, some say that's because it was offered to idols. It's possible. Some say, say because it was forbidden by God. For example, some of the choice food might have included uh, swine, which they could not eat as a, as a Jew. That's possible also, but it certainly didn't prevent wine in the Old Testament. I think it's a combination of those things that he might have known that it was being offered to idols and he also had a consciousness that he would be also eating things that he couldn't. It wasn't just because he wanted to be a vegetarian, though some have used it for that purpose. But he had this consciousness before God and he would not violate his conscience. And so he simply asked, is it possible for us to get choice food and if we look better, we can then continue to serve and you'll not force me to eat that? It was a wise plan. And as you know, God blessed that situation. He learned their system. He submitted. He served the government. This was just one particular area where he asked permission, and it was very successful. By the time you come to chapter 3 of Daniel, you know the story. What happens in chapter 3? I want you to go there for a second. Now you have a different situation. What? Nebuchadnezzar, he's still in power. Look at verse 1. He now gets this statue, and everybody is to worship, basically, King Nebuchadnezzar in this statue as God. Now a line's been crossed. How do we know? Verse 8. For this reason, at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. And what happened? They would not bow down when the flute got played and everything else to the image. And what happened? They were going to be killed. And so Nebuchadnezzar, let me just get to that. Go to verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar is in a rage. And in anger, he gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were brought to him before, were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded to them and said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and worship my, the image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready for this moment, talk about pressure, to hear the horn and the flute, the lyre, the trigen, the psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well, I'll forget everything. But if you don't worship, you'll be immediately cast into the fiery furnace, blazing fire, and what God is there that can deliver you? Notice how they had to take this to prayer. That would be the Christian's reaction today. Let me pray about this. I don't think so. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need any time. We'll give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God is it, who we serve is able to deliver us from this, firing, uh, from this furnace of burning, a blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of a hand. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. The line had been crossed. Why? They knew that they were to worship the Lord God with all their heart, soul, spirit, mind, and him alone. I can submit to the government in many areas. This area I cannot because there's only one true God. And you'll notice this, that they didn't go get all of everybody else. They simply made a decision 
And now they could not submit to the government. Why? Because they were being forced to worship a false god. And what they said is, I don't even know if God's going to deliver me. But this I know. I can't do that. You have now gone against the Lord. It is greater to obey God than man. And if we lose our lives, so be it. So be it. And that's the approach that they took. As you know, I could go on even in Daniel, because Daniel chapter 6, the lion's den, he was told he couldn't pray. What did he do? He prayed, knowing that he was violating the law, because he knew he had to pray to God. And his conscience was set at that, and then that's Daniel in the lion's den. Then you have Peter. Here's some examples I won't turn to. What happened with Peter? He was told he couldn't preach in the name of Jesus Christ. That's Acts chapter 4. So you can mark it in your notes. You cannot preach in that name. What did he say? It's better to obey God than man. Jesus told me I am to preach. Sorry, you've crossed the line. What about paying your taxes? He did it. What about submitting to the government in other areas regarding life and the betterment of the community? He did that. But when it came to the fact that he was being told you cannot preach, and that is why I've said to you as a pastor, if the day comes and it could come and it's moving in that direction that this government says that I can't stand here and preach this book, so be it. I will stand here and preach until the Lord takes care of that. No matter what. Because this takes the priority. Other than that, I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to get my permits for building. I'm going to submit to employer-employee uh, relationship. I'm going to submit to the laws. Though I'll be honest with you, sometimes I break the law going too fast in my car, and don't tell me you don't either. <laughs> well, there's things that we do. That's not to make light of it. But that's a reality. So, you know, even for this morning, so I don't leave you hanging, can you give me any practical, there's many other verses that I have, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me make a couple of practical suggestions just for today in closing. How, because, let's be honest, when do you draw the line? When do you get people that go to get along with you and go against the government? When is it really just my imagination? When is it really just my personal preference? How do I apply these things? Let me give you just a couple of quick principles, and then I'll close for today, that I would suggest what it means to live as free men, okay, but as a slave to Christ, and then to be submissive to the government. Here's the, here's the principles. Number one, remember always that God is sovereign. You say, well, that was an easy one. Yeah, but we forget it. Is God sovereign over the United States of America? Absolutely. Is he behind the scenes accomplishing what he wants to accomplish? Absolutely. So you may not like a particular president or a particular government official. We have the right to vote, whether you exercise that or not. That's in your own conscience. But God is sovereignly going to use, just like he used the king of Babylon, and then he would judge him later. Number two, know the direct commands of Scripture and never violate those. I'm talking about direct commands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that they could not bow down to another god. If someone came into your life, very, uh, as an example, and said that you either accept this particular god or you lose your head, so be it. I will be the headless pastor. So be it. 
because we are not to bow down to any other god. There are commands in scripture that are given. I'm not listing them all for you. That are directly related to the Christian. You cannot violate that. You cannot. Three, never violate your own conscience. Never. Whatever is not a faith is sin. We have to recognize that some people have a conscience towards some things and other people do not. That is not a direct violation of scripture. But if you have a conscience about something, you can't violate that. If you do, you fall into sin. So you are not to violate your conscience. Four, obey the laws of the land. That is our biblical responsibility. It is to obey the laws of the land under the government which we are given. For example, even as a church, it does get into that. What about the church? Is that an institution? Well, again, it's established by God. But even in the state of Massachusetts, they have laws regarding church. They have laws regarding church membership. They have laws regarding whether or not you can get a tax deduction. We have a responsibility to submit to those. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't violate anything in scripture. And so when we incorporate and go through those procedures, why do they do that, by the way? I'm going to tell you one of the reasons is for the very thing that is happening today. What is that? To prevent everybody from having a home church that is under no structure whatsoever other than the people that want to run it that can affect the neighbors in that particular area. That's a reality. There are so many churches, quote unquote, that are real not, really not churches, but are, are being established that way, and there's no structure, there's no limits, and there's no guidelines whatsoever. And so the government tries to regulate that. Now, they have no right to come in here and tell me what to preach. But they have the right to say that this building's got to meet code. They have the rights for that. We have to obey the laws of the land. Number, what, five? When the laws of the land are just, unjust or wrong, then what do I do? Take a stand against it. Take an individual stand against it. Do not, do not be afraid. And here's what Christians are afraid. Do not be afraid to speak out. If you don't agree with some of the laws of the land and some of the things that they are doing, and I hope you don't, with some of the things that are happening in the family, with the way they've redefined the family, speak out. We've been given the right to do that. Don't remain silent. You don't go around in a corner basically trying to overthrow them. But speak out and let them know you disagree. We should. And then thirdly, I would suggest under that, when the laws are unjust or wrong, use the proper means available. Didn't Peter do that? Sure he did. Didn't Paul do that? Sure he did. I appear, I'm a Roman citizen. You're not going to let me go this way. I have the right to be heard. I have the right to be let go properly. I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. We have rights in this country that are given to us as citizens of the United States. Exercise those rights. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Next one I give you, I give you two more. And that's very, just to be practical. The next thing is expect persecution. Look it. If you don't expect persecution and you're surprised by it, I think there's an honest question you have to ask yourself. Am I a child of God? Because if you're trying to live godly, you will face persecution. You will get ridiculed. 
you will be put down. People will disagree with you because you're making stands for what is truth. So be it. I need to realize that I have to face that. I should expect that. Not because I want to be browbeat or anything like that, but be simply because I'm living for Christ, I can expect the world. This is not our home. And the last thing I'll give you of a practical thing this morning is commit yourself to God. That's what Jesus Christ did. He committed himself to the Father. That's what Peter did. That's what Paul did. That's what the apostles did when they were put to death. They committed themselves to God. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we just looked at, were willing to do. If God so chooses that my life is taken, so be it. I have to follow the will of God. That's basically what happened with Daniel. I don't know whether the lions are going to eat me or they're not, but that's so be it. I have to just be willing to suffer that. I will commit myself to God. Why? It all started with the first point. God is sovereign. Does that answer all your questions? Yeah, absolutely not. But it's a stop because I didn't want to leave some of the practical out this morning. We will pick it up and look at verse 17, Lord willing, next week. That will kind of draw some other things together. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a very difficult area for us, practically speaking. To submit to a government when oftentimes we disagree with it is not easy. To balance it on when to submit and when to speak out is a challenge. But I pray, Father, that you'd help us to remember that, first of all, if we're a child of God, we're citizens of heaven. This is not our home. Let us not look to government as though by changing the government, it's going to make everything fine and dandy for us. Help us to realize that we are here to live as a light to a dying world. Help us to live for Christ. Help us to know what your word says. Help us not to compromise it, but help us to be good citizens. Help us to be able to submit in areas where people don't know us as troublemakers, but they know us as law-abiding citizens who are different because we're living for Christ. Even in submission, Father, that would be seen as different today. And I pray, Father, you'd help us with all the practical decisions. Help us not to violate our conscience. Help us to love and adore you in all that we do and to help one another even with practical decisions we have to make day in and day out. Thank you that we have the word of God to look to, and we pray, Father, that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.